And if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 142, we're going to start at Psalm 142. And as you're on your way there, um, in the year 2000, they came out with a movie called Castaway. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've seen the movie, but the basic gist behind the movie is about a pilot. Uh, I think he flies for FedEx and he's flying these packages over the ocean and he gets into this storm and his plane ends, ends up crashing and he ends up alone on a deserted island. And so the bulk of this movie um, shows this man alone on this island and him trying to survive. He tries to build a raft to get off the island. Um, he can't get out to see the waves to, uh, tip over his raft. He has to come back. And so he's kind of just stuck there alone waiting for help. He, a, a lonely volleyball floats by. He paints it up. He names it Wilson. And that's his companion on the island. Other than that, there's nothing else there. And he's sitting there alone, waiting for rescue, no help in sight. And when I think about that movie, it kind of reminds me of our passage or what we're going to talk about today in David's life, because David finds himself in a similar situation. He's all alone and he's waiting for rescue. All right. But before we begin today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to look into your word. Father, your word is powerful. It moves mountains. It changes lives, Lord. And so we come to you today asking that your word might take hold of our hearts. Lord, that through the preaching of your word, Lord, if I could say all the right words um, and and preach the perfect sermon, but if you're not in it, Lord, it's no good. And so, Lord, we ask that you be with us, meet with us here right now. Help us as we open up our hearts to you and your word. Lord, that we might live for you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so if you're in Psalm 142, before we get there, let me just do a little bit of review. Um, And because a couple weeks ago was the last time we were in the the story of David. Pastor Todd uh, preached on three chapters last time. And in those three chapters in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 19, 20, and 21, a lot of events happened in David's life. Right. Previous to that, you have David um, being anointed by Samuel as the next king. All right. And then David faces off against Goliath and and defeats Goliath and gives the Israelites the victory. Um, And then he ends up uh, becoming King Saul's sons. Well, King Saul gives him a job with the army, basically leading his army and him and Saul's son, oldest son, uh, Jonathan uh, didn't come to me there. Jonathan became best friends. Um, and he married the king's daughter, and so now he's a, uh, in the king's family. That's all before First Samuel nineteen twenty and twenty one, which was two weeks ago, where Pastor Todd Todd shared with us just the events that that kind of conspired and spiraled out of control in David's life. In those three chapters, we saw everything get stripped away from David. Everything got taken away from David. All right, he, he, uh, King Saul turned on him because the people loved him. And so Saul tried to kill him. All right, and so Saul is now chasing after him. And so he's chased away from his wife. Wife helps him escape out the window. All right, his best friend Jonathan helps him escape out of the region. 
All right, and he's so he's losing all these things: his family, his position, his job. You know, all these things, and he ends up. Where does he end up in the end? He ends up in Gath. All right, the city of the Philistines, the enemy of Israel. And when last we heard of David, he was he was hiding in the within the Philistines, but the Philistines are his enemy, and there and so he pretends like he's insane. All right, he drools on his beard, he acts like he's crazy. Just to kind of avoid being captured by them, and so all these things, everything that David has, has been stripped away, has been taken away from him. And so, as we come to our three psalms that we're going to look at today, um, before that, First uh, Samuel twenty-two. After all these things have happened to David, here's what it says: It says David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. David had lost everything. All things familiar had been taken away, taken away, and he has hit rock bottom and he's hiding alone in a cave. And so we know the the events that lead up to this, right? There's there's so many events that lead up to where David is at now. Um, we know all the facts, we know the details, but the Bible also gives us a glimpse into David's heart and mind at this time as well. And this is a unique thing because you don't find this often in Scripture. And often in Scripture, we, we find all the details, but we really don't know what the guy is thinking. You know, you want to know what he's thinking, what's going on inside of him. And so the Psalms we look at today, we're going to kind of get an x-ray of David. Um, if you go to the doctor, you get an x-ray what the doctor can see inside of you, what's going on inside, all right, what, what, what's happening inside of you so he can give you a diagnosis. Well, kind of in the same way, the Psalms we're going to look at are going to give us an x-ray into David's mind and heart as to where he is at this time and what he's going through. And so as we look at Psalm 34, Psalm 57, and Psalm 142, we're actually going to look at them in reverse order. And we will see what looks like a progression in David's heart at this time. And all these, all three of these psalms are kind of, they all kind of have a heading that say, hey, this is happening during this time. While he's in the cave, when he runs from Gath. All right, so all these things are happening at this time. All right, and so, um, as we find David hiding out in this cave, uh, we're going to find his heart. We're going to look into his heart. And we're going to see for... Um, uh, alliteration's sake. In Psalm 142, we're going to see that David's heart is crushed. All right? The crushed heart. In Psalm 57, we're going to find David's heart transform into a confident heart. And then in Psalm 34, we're going to find David transform, his heart continue on to be a contagious heart. And so if you're taking notes today, a crushed heart, a confident heart, a contagious heart, um, all alliterated kind of help us remember. But anyway, in Psalm 1 you're in Psalm 142 and so that's where we're going to start. So let me let's begin with David's crushed heart in Psalm 142. Let me read out loud this chapter and again I'm going to be reading from the ESV but you can follow along in what version you have in front of you. David writes this he says with my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. 
Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. And so in this first psalm here, we see David's crushed heart, what it looks like. He is hurting bad. The people closest to him have been taken away. He's lost his job. He has been running out, he's been run out of his home. You know, three times in this chapter, in these seven verses, David uses the word cry. You hear the word cry coming from David's lips as he begs God to hear, to care, to see his desperate need and to rescue him. David is at the end of his rope. And in verse 2 it says, he brings his complaint and his trouble to God. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've you've ever bought some sort of product um, and had a problem with it and had to call customer service... um, you know, you, you've probably had some sort of, you know, that's, that's never really seemed to gone gone well. At least for me, it's never seems to go well when I have to call customer service, right? Because you call up customer service, you got a problem with your, your product, you call customer service, and first of all, there's all different sorts of numbers. If you do this, press this, do this, press this. All right, so you're pressing all those numbers, and it keeps getting more specific to your, what you think is your location. Like, you know, if you bought it in aisle, if you bought the blue one in aisle four on a rainy day in September, press six. All right, and so you press six, and finally you get to talk to, you know, finally, eventually you get to talk to somebody. All right, somebody with a voice. And usually by that time, you're like, okay, I've already been on for a half an hour trying to figure out all these numbers, and your phone looks like you've, you know, there's more numbers on your phone than than the mathematical pi, you know, spelled out basically. Um, and so you want to keep it short. And so for two or three minutes, you explain to the guy, okay, here's my product, here's the problem I got. And when you get to the end of that, you usually get a like, a, oh, that's not my department, right? <laughs> Yeah, and by that time, you're thinking, okay, what is your department? Because I probably have a complaint for that, too. <laughs> Either that or let me just voice out all my complaints, and you let me know if any of those fall in your department. Um, but, you know, it, it, it seems like you, you kind of get the idea they really don't want to talk to you, or they really don't know how to help you. Um, all that to say, that is not true of God. All right? God loves for his people to cry out to him. And so as David is here crying out to God, God wants us in like manner to, to, to cry out to him with our troubles and our complaints. It's interesting, um, verse 2, he says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. He wants to hear our sorrows. Now, oftentimes when we hear the word complain, we think, oh, okay, so God wants to hear about that restaurant cook who burnt my burger again. Uh, no, that's not what we're talking about when we, when we talk about complaints. Alright? But God knows this life is hard. He never promised an easy life for Christians. I know oftentimes we, we know the Bible says that, but do we really believe it? I mean, we feel like, boy, if I just, if I read my Bible, if I'm close to God, everything's gonna be great. Alright? But God tells us in His Word, this life is gonna be rough. This life is gonna be full of challenges. 
All right, and God wants to hear about those challenges. He wants us to cry to Him. He longs to hear from us. And David expresses how many, how often, how many people often feel in his situation. In verse three, we see this. He says, "My spirit faints within me." All right, David said, "I'm out of energy, man. I just, I can't get up in the morning. I am dead tired. I got, I got nothing else to give." All right. He also says in verse three that they have hidden traps for me. David feels like he's he's surrounded by danger. He's always confused. Man, I, I don't I don't understand why why is life going like this? What's going on? Verse four. He says, "No, no one takes care of my soul. No one, no one takes care of me. No one cares for my soul." All right. David's saying, "I am I'm all alone. I'm on a deserted island." You know, here he is in a cave by himself. He's got nobody else. <clears throat> the end of verse four, he says, I have no refuge left. There's nowhere to go. I've, I've tried everything. He tried to hide with the enemy, right? And that didn't work out either. And so David feels like he's out in the open during a terrible storm with nowhere to hide or nowhere to find shelter. It's interesting to note that Adullam, the, the town of Adullam, is, is like midway between Gath. Remember, he ran from Gath. That's where he was hiding. He was hiding with the Philistines in, in Gath. And they're on to him, and so he's out of there. It's halfway between Gath and Bethlehem, which Bethlehem was his home, where he grew up. All right? And so somewhere in between there is this town of Adullam, and so the, the cave of Adullam is probably somewhere in that region on the cliffs or whatever. But the town of Adullam is also located, the, the path between those two, on the Valley of Elah. Now, what happened in the Valley of Elah? Anybody remember chapters ago? David versus Goliath happened in the Valley of Elah. And so can you imagine David running from Gath? He's at his wit's end. He's out of gas. He doesn't know where to go. Running through the Valley of Elah and maybe even... Even from his cave, it's possible. Could, could he be looking out over that very spot? Okay, this, is, this is where David and Goliath happened. Man, times were good then. <laughs> Boy, I remember that. Uh, what happened? Right? I mean, David is, is basically could be overlooking this spot and thinking back, man, I remember when, man, we had victory and things were good. Things were going great. God was blessing. And wondering, what? How did I get to where I am now? What what has happened? <clears throat> Maybe you can identify with David. Maybe the troubles of this life are beating you down even when you feel like you're even when you feel like you're pounded completely into the ground, life keeps pounding. You're out of energy, you constantly feel in danger or confused with life, and you feel so completely alone. And you don't have to have some huge tragedy, um, event, tragic event in your life to happen in order to feel this way. It could be the buildup of a million small things in life, or the constant defeat of a struggle with sin, or constant failure or issues in your life. I would venture to say that there are more in this room that have felt this way at one time or another than we would probably guess, and probably more in this room right now than we would want to admit. 
And maybe the trouble has been brought on to you to this point has been brought on by some some others, right? Somebody else. My trouble is is brought on by somebody else. Saul had been hunting David, right? Saul Saul was David's problem, right? You know, he was the one pursuing David, trying to kill David. He was the one that took all David's lifelines, you know, pushed him out of his family, away from his home, and everything. Or maybe it's because of our own sin and choices that has brought us to this point of a crushed heart. Or maybe even it's a combination of both. And this usually tends to be the case. And again, I don't, I don't want to speculate too much. But thinking back on that story of David, you know, in the, those last three chapters when he's on the run, he uses his wife to help him escape his home, uses his friend to help him escape the region, all right, and you remember what happened next? He goes to the uh, the priest, and I can't remember, Ahimelech uh, at Nob. Okay, he goes to the priest at Nob and says, you know, I, I don't have any weapons. I need a weapon. And the, what does the priest say? The priest says, well, the only weapon we got here is the, the sword of Goliath. And David's like, well, give me that. All right, now, think for a second. How much did the sword of Goliath help Goliath? You know, have you ever seen the old Western movies where there's always somebody with the like the rabbit's foot around their you know neck, and they're like, "Oh, this is my lucky rabbit's foot," and somebody always says, "Well, it wasn't too lucky for the rabbit." <laughs> All right, okay. Well, he, the sword of Goliath. I mean, what? That didn't help Goliath out all that much, right? And then he runs to Gath, where Goliath was from, um, to to try to hide. All that to say, you know, maybe David. And, Throughout those chapters, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of God involvement in there. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of David going to God. It seems like maybe he's relying a bit too much on his his instinct that he's learned during battle, you know, the, the training that he's gotten. Maybe he's relying a little bit too much on himself. And so maybe it's a combination of Saul chasing him down and David trying to trying to work this out on his own. Whatever the case may be, it seems as if... <laughs> Um, David is here now in the cave at his very end, end of the rope. There's nothing else, nothing else he can do, nowhere else to go. And so he is now crying out to God. And so the message of Psalm 142 is if you have a crushed heart, call out to God. He wants to hear you. He wants to hear from you. He is a God who cares. Don't think of him as the customer service call where you might get you know, the runaround or whatever. God desires to hear the cries of mercy from his children, the pouring out of complaints and troubles in this life, and the call for help to come from him. Let God know about your troubles, your loneliness, your abandonment, and yet be confident that he is watching. Let's look at the rest of the verses, verses 5 through 7 here in Psalm 42. At the end of Psalm 42, these last couple of verses, we see that David has not lost everything. With everything that has happened, he is still certain that God is there and that God is his refuge. He's not completely alone. He knows God is there. And to him, he cries out to deliver him from his lowly state. As verse 6 says, he's crying out to God, deliver me from this, to bring me out of prison. As verse 7 says, at the very end of the chapter, David expresses that though he is in this difficult and dire situation, all is not lost because God is with him and will deal bountifully with him. And for that, we're going to turn over, turn over to Psalm chapter 57. 
Psalm 57, and we see where David, as David's heart, works its way to being confident, the confident heart. And again, let me read these verses out loud. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. If I lie down amid fiery beasts, I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So although though David is forced to flee to a literal cave that is no doubt dark, damp, and uncomfortable in an uncomfortable living space, David acknowledges that his true refuge is in God. In verse 2 and 3, David states his confidence in God that his purpose will stand, he will save, and he will defeat the enemy. With all the uncertainty of life and changing circumstances David was, that David was facing, there was little to be confident in physically. Where, where would he sleep? Where would he eat? Where would he, where, who could he trust? What was the next day's events going to bring? David focused on the things he knew wouldn't change, and that is God. God does not change. And so if you feel like you are sinking into sand and there's nothing to grab onto... Because that's what truth is. Truth is something that we can hold on to. If we don't have truth, there's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing to stand upon. But if we hold on to the truth of God and what he says in the Bible, who he is, what he's done, we will find a place to stand upon. And so God was the one who could grant the needed mercy. God was the most high king, not Saul. God would fulfill his purpose in David's life no matter what the opposition did. God would bring the enemy to shame. And God would send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. These were the truths that David's, that made David's heart confident. It wasn't the changing of his circumstances. It was the fact that he acknowledged and looked to God who never changed. Who he could stand upon. Who he could take refuge in. All right, David was not denying the, the physical reality. Like verse 4 and 6 show us that. All right, the enemy was still after him. There was, real light, there was real threat to his life and danger lurking around the corner. Verses 4 and 6 say, you know, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. There's, there's, there's still danger out there. 
Verse 6 says, They set a net for, for my steps. All right, they dug a pit in my way. All right, the harm is still out there. It's still possible. But the ultimate reality for David was that these things cannot defeat the steadfast love and faithfulness of the God in whom David trusted. And that is why David could confess that his heart had been steadfast in God, in God because of who God is, what he's done, and what he says he will do. When we place our confidence in God, it is because of who he is, his great faithfulness, his mercy, his love, his protection, his kindness, and what he has done, and what he has said he will do, the promises he's made. The world looks at Christians, at the Christian hope, and says things like, well, you, you guys are overly optimistic. Look at the world around you. Look at what's going on. How can you take joy? How can you, you know, see a silver lining? Or, or they just say that we're, Christians are denying reality. All right, you're denying what's, what's real, what's really happening, what's really going on in the world. Or they might just say, you're brainwashed. But the truth is that when you know the God of the Bible, there is, a great, there is great reason to have a confident heart. To be confident no matter what life's circumstances look like or what the enemy is doing to us. So here is David all alone in a cave, seemingly having lost everything everything of earthly value and yet he is proclaiming god's name and saying break out the band and let's sing he literally says that in verse eight he says awake my glory awake O harp and lyre i will awake the dawn all right break out the band let's sing let's praise god because of who he is you know and the rats in the cave probably thought this guy had gone nuts all right but that's what trusting in god looks like in the life of david David's heart, once, once distressed, is now steadfast and confident in the God who has been with him the whole time. David's confidence compels him to praise God. Verse 5 and verse 11 are identical, indicating that this is the thrust of the psalm. This is the whole, um, the whole point of where the psalm is going, and it says this, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. In the midst of difficult circumstances, David's dependence on God caused him to proclaim his praise. Now, before we move on to our final psalm, um, and you can start, you can start turning there. Psalm 34 will be Psalm 34 will be our final psalm. But before we get get there, I just want to jump back to 1 Samuel 22 after we found out David escaped and he's in the cave of Adullam. Uh, I just want to bring into reference here what else was happening at that time, um, because it's, I think it's important in, in our final, the final psalm we look at. So first of all, we have Psalm, the rest of verse one of Psalm twenty, or first, first Samuel twenty-two. Sorry. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. All right. And then verse two. Sorry, that might be a little too small. And everyone who was in distress. And everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul, gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So first of all, we see joining David in the cave, then as after he's alone, his family comes by. Now, I don't know where the family relationship was at 
at this point. I don't want to speculate too much, but you can remember back to the time where Samuel shows up at, at David's father's house. David's father, Jesse, shows up at the house and says, Hey, where's your sons? I'm going to anoint one of them king. And he brings out his sons and Samuel's like, is this all of them? And Jesse's like, oh yeah, I, I forgot about that one. I got that one in the field. Now, if you're a parent of more than two or three kids, um, you might you might identify with this a little bit. Um, Sundays, we just happen to bring two vehicles, uh, Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. And so sometimes uh, she'll, my wife will leave for home uh, thinking I have one kid and I'll leave for home thinking she has that kid. And we'll get home and we don't have that kid. And I usually get a call from Pastor Todd saying, uh, your son is here. Do you want him? Um, so you can kind of understand that. But but that's what happened with David early on with his father. He's like, oh, yeah, that I got that one kid yet out there keeping a watch over the sheep. So his dad forgot about him. Um, his brothers, if you remember, uh, when it came to time to face in Goliath, David came out and, and challenged them. It's like, why don't you guys have enough faith to face, to face the giant? And so they were kind of upset with him. Now, that was a long time ago, so maybe the family relations have worked themselves out. But his family comes and joins him in the cave. Not only that, but look who else joins David in the cave. Number one, everyone who was in distress. Everyone who was suffering hardship or anguish is what it means. Uh, also, who don't join him in the cave, everyone who was in debt. Okay, the poor people were coming into the cave. And uh, thirdly, everyone who was bitter, this translation says bitter in soul. Some of your translations might say discontent. Um, basically meaning those who were wronged or mistreated. All right, and about 400 men came to join David in the cave. And so I think this is significant. So kind of pack that, this background information away somewhere in your brain. I know, guys, sometimes we struggle with more than one, thinking of more one thing. But if you have a pocket for like Eagles news and information, why don't you just put that in there for now? Because there's no good Eagles news and information right now. So keep this in that pocket right now. Keep this background because I think it's important as we look at Psalm chapter 34. All right, if you're at Psalm chapter 34, we're going to look at the contagious heart. Now, David's heart didn't just stay uh, confident, it became contagious as well. Now, most of us are probably familiar with the character of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, right? Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh basically... He always sees the glass half empty, right? You know, if everybody's like, hey, Eeyore, come out and play. It's a nice sunny day. He's usually like, oh, well, tomorrow it'll probably rain, you know. And then, or, you know, whatever it was, Eeyore could turn it into a negative. Well, David almost does the reverse of that. When you think of the situation that he's in, and as we look at Psalm 34, David flips that character trait around to focus on the good, even when even in difficult situations. And we don't have time to read through this whole psalm. That's why I read through it at the beginning um, at, during the announcements. But I w- want to highlight some things as we go through this. All right. Uh, in verses 1 through 3, he makes a vow to bless and praise God in all situations. And I will read that. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. And so David makes a vow that he's going to bless and praise the Lord no matter what the situation looks like. In verses 4 through 7, he praises God for past deliverance. He looks back and says, okay, I remember God when you delivered me from this, from that, from this and that and this and that. And I can count on that. I can count on you, God, to continue to deliver me. All right. And that's verses four through seven. Now, remember who came into him with the cave. As we approach verse eight, remember who came into him into the cave. So go back in that pocket um, and remember who came in. All right. The distressed. And we read verse eight. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that takes refuge in him. If you're distressed, take refuge in God. You are blessed. Also in the cave were those who were in debt, right? The poor people, the people that couldn't pay their bills. To them, we get to verse 9 and we read this. He says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. All right. Those who fear the Lord have no lack. Others in the cave were those that were bitter in soul or discontent, those who were wronged or mistreated. And we read in verse 10, the young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Can you almost see the contagious heart here in David? How it's spilling out, his praise is spilling out to those that have gathered around him and he's instructing them and saying, you know what? We both have troubles. You got your troubles. I got my troubles. And oftentimes when people get together like that, we just build off each other's troubles. All right. That's not what David is doing. He is encouraging them. He is preaching to them, teaching them, hey, here is what it means to fear the Lord. All right. If you're in doubt, trust God. If you if you're in debt and you you don't know where your meal is going to come from, trust God. He, he will not leave you wanting. And so we see David's heart coming out here as contagious. Verse 11 says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. All right, David is going out. He is teaching these people. He says, Come, calling them as children. All right, and I'm not just up here saying that because we need help in children's ministry, which we do. So if you want to help in children's ministry. Um, but... David's heart of contagiousness is, is reaching out to others around him. All right. It's, 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 it's molding. It's making its way into others. What a swing in events. This guy who had everything taken from him threatens threats and troubles galore at the end of his rope has come to the conviction that since God is on my side and he is faithful and he is loving, I will praise him joyfully and teach others to do so as well. He teaches them in verses 12 through 14 to live righteously. Um, verse 12 through 13 or through 14 say this, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And then in verses 15 through 21, he assures them that the Lord attends to his people. 
Finally, verse 22, and I have it up. Well, I have some other ones up here. I have some of the earlier ones up here. But verse 22, he says this. He says, the Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So here we find this guy running for his life after losing everything. Finds refuge alone in a cold, dark, damp cave, crushed by the troubles and dangers in his life. He has come to the place where he is trusting in and praising God and teaching others to do the same. His his circumstances haven't changed, right? He's still in the cave, right? Still away from his, his, his wife, his best friend, all right, still fugitive number one on, on Israel's most wanted. Um, nothing has changed. And yet, you know, so you, we might ask ourselves, how is this possible? It's only possible with God. And when we learn to lean on Him, trust His Word, put our broken lives in His loving and caring hands, and look to Him to keep His promises. All right. As verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So as we wrap this up today, if you are at that point where you are, your heart is just crushed, like David in the very first song, and it just, I'm out of energy. I, I don't have it. Uh, I feel like there's trouble everywhere. I, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on in life. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have anyone. I mean, I, I have people to talk to, but I, ultimately I feel so alone. Let me encourage you to turn to God in whom we can trust. When life is confusing, right? We feel like our legs might feel weak because I don't know how to, you know, I don't feel like I have anything to stand on. With David, what it was, was he knew the truth about God. And he reflected on that. He went back to that. He's like, God is a God who I can trust. He has promised he'll be with me. He has promised he'll redeem his people. He'll save me. He'll watch over me. He's a faithful God. He's a God of his word. He's a God who loves me. He's a God who's kind. That's where he found his footing. That's where he was found the rock to stand on. Maybe you're here today and, you know, you... Your heart is no longer crushed or is not crushed. You have a confident heart in what God has done. What steps do you need to take to come to that contagious heart? Right? Is that boiling over into other people's? Is it boiling over into your conversations with others, with your neighbors, with your friends? What does it take? Where's this, what steps do I need to take to become so confident where I'm, where I'm just so overjoyed and so feel so firm standing on the rock of the truth of God that I'm going to be teaching and and speaking to others this truth and encouraging them in this truth. There's one other thing I I do want to highlight before we before we close. Um, In verse in chapter 34, if you're still there, verse 20, it says this. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Is that if you've been around the Bible for a little while, that might ring a bell. All right. That verse and a couple verses in Exodus help point forward to a point in time where that comes up again. In John 19, 36, 
It says this, For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. That comes right in the midst of the passage where Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. These verses, and David points forward to us the true victory, the true reason for our comfort, for our, for our hearts to be confident. Because God loved us so much, he was willing to send Jesus to live the life, an example for us, to teach us how to live, and then to die in our place. Because we could not pay our own debt, the own debt of our sin. And he brought him back to life. And if God loves us that much that he would do that, God's never going to leave you alone. God's never going to leave you stranded. He knows your heart's crushed. He knows you're hurting. And he wants to hear you come. He wants you to come to him because he is a God who loves and cares for you. And so thank God for this, this, this x-ray into David's life. You know, we, got, we, we had all the facts, right? We knew the story. All right, he ended up in a cave. He ended up with these guys who would eventually become his, like his band of merry men, like Robin Hood. These 400 men became the mighty men of David. All right, he trained them to fight. They became warriors. They, they fought against Israel's enemies. All right, we got those facts. But God here, um, seeing fit in his wisdom to give us these psalms as well, so that we can see into the mind and heart of David, to know what was going on inside of him. What it was that helped him to go from being crushed to confident to contagious. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.